Who wants to be a part of a church that we kind of make up as we're going along? That we reason from our own intellect? Who wants to be a part of that kind of church? Who wants to be a part of a church that goes with just popular trends, what other churches seem to be doing that seems to be working? Who wants to be a part of a a trendy church? Who wants to be a part of a church that the Holy Spirit is leading and that God himself is building? Is that the kind of church you want to be a part of? Well, good, okay. That's good. This will go down well then, okay. But we need to, we need to start, we need to start with that understanding that that is what we want to be a part of. Because if we truly believe that, that's going to change the way we do a lot of things. It's going to change the way we think about a lot of things, the way we think about things. So let's start there, recognizing that what we really do want is the church that he has designed, the church that he wants to build. Okay, we start there, Lord. We just want to give that to you, Lord, now, just that confession. We want the church that you have designed. So, Lord, have your way in us now. Speak, Lord. Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew 16, 18, Jesus said that he was going to build his church. And he did. And he is still today. He is building his church. He is building his church in us. He is building his church with us. He is building his church through us as much as we let him. And there's this weird thing about the sovereignty of God. God is sovereign. He is the creator, the ruler of the heavens and the earth. But he also, in his sovereignty, gives his children, his ambassadors, free will to choose. And we can choose to follow his will, his plan, or we can choose to do whatever we want. And in so many ways, every day, we choose to do whatever we feel like. It is our nature. It is our fallen nature. And until that is sanctified out of us, we will continue to choose contrary to his will. And we do that with his church as well. So that the church that is being built often isn't the church that he has designed. No wonder it is such a mess. No wonder it does not reflect on him and his character and his plan for the world. Because we're doing it our way, according to our design. God has designed his church and we are part of that design. We are part of his design. We are the building blocks of his church. We are the building materials, but we are also the workers that he uses for the building as well. We have got to repent and return to his blueprint for the church. The blueprint that he has preserved in his word for us to find, to receive to come into an understanding, to step into by faith, to obey, and to be transformed by. That blueprint details the structure of the church, 
and the manner in which we should build. And this is the understanding that appears to me now so explicitly in Scripture that I have been so blind to see in the past. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 28. God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. God has a plan for the whole world, and he wants to affect that plan through us. God is establishing the kingdom of heaven on earth. He is releasing that kingdom through his church, through first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then through those with gifts of shepherding and through gifts of evangelism. These are the anointings that we we talk about as the as the fivefold gifts, the fivefold that we find in Ephesians chapter four. Now this this verse this is not about who the coolest kids are in the kingdom of God. These gifts are not set apart because they necessarily carry any more authority than anyone else in the kingdom. This is not even a, a necessarily an authority verse. This is a functional verse about gifts that have a purpose in the kingdom. All of these gifts are crucially important to the church, as are every single one of the other gifts that are listed throughout Scripture. But for each of the fivefold gifts to be effective in fulfilling their particular mission in the church, that is, building God's church, they need to operate in order and the authority that God has raised them up in. This order is essentially about the flow of revelation from heaven to earth. There is an order that things work. There is a process that God has put in Scripture and has worked throughout history the way he works, the way he brings his word to the earth. And it starts with the apostles and prophets. Why? Because apostles and prophets have their eyes and ears focused up. Up to heaven. Up to God. They are seeking the Spirit. They are seeking Him directly. That has not been the way that I have operated. When I am seeking His will, I look down. I look down to His book. It is His book. It is His word. Every word of it is inspired by the Spirit. But I look to there. And when I don't have understanding, oh, I go to a commentary. Oh, what does the Greek say? I don't speak Greek, but that kind of, right, the Greek says that. I, I, I look to, to reason things out and understand so that I can, I can first of all get understanding for myself but then pass that on to others because I have an urge to, to bring truth to others. But so much of that is coming from my own intellect and from which God has given me, but it's come from study and it isn't directly seeking God. And so there can be some error in there. There can be mistakes. Even if the understanding I bring is accurate, is that the truth that God wants to bring in season? Is that the word he has for his people? I don't know. just feels good to me. That is not the way apostles and prophets operate. They seek God. Their, their eyes are on the heavens. They're totally focused and tuned into the things of God. They can see and hear into the heavenly realm in ways that astound, confuse, and terrify the rest of us. Apostles and prophets grab hold of what God is doing in heaven and look to move that and to release that on the earth. 
Their concern is not so much about what God has done in the past, but what he wants to do now and in the future, and then lead us into that. Teachers. Teachers are important because they help the people understand God's word. They take the revelation of God, be it directly from scripture, or through the declaration of apostles and prophets, and they break it down so that people can come into an understanding of the truth and can apply it to their lives. But without the ministry of apostles and prophets, teachers will refocus the church towards doctrinal accuracy. I'm sure we would like to be doctrinally accurate, but we can get our doctrine right and still be the same people, not in any way transformed. Doctrine doesn't change you. The Spirit of God changes you. Submitting to His move in you changes you. Getting the doctrine right doesn't necessarily change anything at all. In fact, it can puff you up with pride, as was the case with me. Like many of the Pharisees, scribes, and teachers of the law that Jesus encountered, not all, but some, there were people who were zealously passionate for God's word, but they were blinded to God himself when he was actually standing right in front of them. Being right became more important than being righteous. And righteousness is found in Christ alone. Teachers find their ordained and anointed place in the church when they humbly receive apostolic and prophetic direction from those graced in those ministries. They help God's people to receive that word, the revealed and prophetic word of God in season and then help them to apply that to their lives. Pastors, shepherds are important. God has blessed the church with them because they connect people relationally with God's prophetic plan for his plan for us, for his church. And they nurture them into the into their part of the family of God, encouraging them to overcome obstacles in their way. But without apostles and prophets, pastors can perpetuate a church culture that is insular. And it's all about our needs and our feelings and our problems. Whereas God wants his people obedient. He wants them focused. He has a mission for us that he wants us to claim and step into. Not just feel happy and safe. Pastors need the apostolic and prophetic environment to step into the ultimate calling as enablers, not of selfish pew warmers, but of kingdom people sold out for a mission so much bigger than ourselves. Evangelists have been given to the church to build us up, to equip us, so that we can bring the expression of God's prophetic voice and mission to a lost world. Without them, our churches would never grow, because the kingdom would never make it out the door. It would be stuck in here with us. Evangelists equip us to take the kingdom to work with us, and on the plane with us, and share the hope that we have. 
or they do at least when they operate in an apostolic and prophetic environment. Without the flow from those gifts, the evangelists equip us not necessarily to carry the kingdom of God, but to carry a small part of it. A gospel that can be expressed in four spiritual laws. A salvation prayer. Too much of my experience and training in evangelism came down to this little thing that was only a part of the big picture that God was trying to bring. But evangelists operating in an apostolic and prophetic and fivefold environment understand that there is more that they can equip to bring. If we don't recognize and respect the apostolic mantle on a leader, how can we follow them into the faith leap that God has revealed to them to lead us into? If we don't recognize and respect the prophetic grace on a person, how can we receive the word that God has given them to bring to the church? If we don't recognize and respect the teaching gift on a preacher, we will miss the deeper insights or applications of Scripture that God has equipped them to bring us. If we don't recognize and respect the pastoral gift on a person, we could miss the encouragement that God wants to support us with. If we don't recognize and respect the evangelistic gift on a person, we won't be able to tap into their inspiration and their testimonies and their power to passionately share faith in the world around us. When we recognize and respect, we can receive. And I, for one, want to receive everything that God has for me. Every gift that he has released and is releasing on the church. I want to learn from that and receive from that. Now, we want you to understand the nature and the function of the equipping gifts, the fivefold that God has given to build up his church according to his blueprint. But we also need you to know that this is not just about a chosen few. This is not just about apostles and prophets and teachers and pastors and evangelists. God's blueprint for building his church, for building his kingdom, involves every single one of us, no matter what our gifting is. Which Paul makes abundantly clear in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Why don't you turn there with me? We're going to have a good go at this. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm going to read from verse 4. There are different kinds of gifts. But the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. 
Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the ear should say, because I'm not an ear, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? If the whole body was an apostle, how crazy would that be? The church would implode. Everyone would be so passionate about the agenda they believe God is carrying. But what about caring for the people? If everyone was a prophet, this place would be insane. I can't even imagine the chaos. The wonderful godly chaos that would be if everyone was a prophet. If everyone was a teacher... This place would be intellectually stimulating and dead. And dead. I enjoyed my time at university for different reasons. But um, but the idea of for the rest of my life turning up to weekly lectures to stimulate my intellect, that is not something I want to be a part of. Thank God that is not the way God builds his church. If we were all evangelists, there wouldn't even be anyone here on a Sunday morning. Because it's all out the door. It's all out there. And if we were all pastors, oh, what a lovely huggy place this would be, eh? Everyone would just feel so loved. All our needs would be taken care of. It would be wonderful. And we would be codependent. Nothing really would change. But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body where they every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. The head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker, are indispensable. The parts we think are less honourable, we treat with special honour. The parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honour to the parts that lacked it. So there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers. If one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. God has placed in the church, first of all apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? 
but eagerly desire the greater gifts. To be the body that God has designed and God is building, we need to all be who God has called us to be and serve as God has called us to serve, functioning as he has designed us to function with the spiritual gifts that he has anointed each one of us with. There are no spectators in the kingdom of God. Everyone is on the team. Everyone is on the field. We're not here just to watch the show. The church needs the equipping gifts, but it also needs those gifted in administration, those gifted with mercy, with faith, with discernment, with wisdom, with craftsmanship, with tongues, with interpretation, with healing and miracles, and all the gifts that God has given the church. We've preached from this passage in Ephesians 4, I don't know how many times. From verse 11, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. But Paul doesn't stop there. Verse 14, then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. As each part does its work. What is your work? What has God anointed you with? What has God called you to do? What has he blessed you with? You have been blessed and anointed beyond imagination for a purpose. And it's not to build your kingdom. It's not to build your comfortable life. It's to build his kingdom and his church. So how's that going for you? Take a look at the person to your right or in a right direction. Take a little look there. I don't know how well you know them. If this person has been redeemed by Christ, they are sealed with his Holy Spirit. And he said that he has given everyone a spiritual gift as he has determined. The Spirit of God is in you and on you for a reason, for a purpose. For building his church, for growing his people, for serving in the kingdom. What is on that person? What could God do through them in you?
How are we nurturing that gift? How are we honoring it? Giving it release to be used for the purpose that God intended. What about the person on the other side? What has God put on them? What about the person behind you or in front of you? Everyone redeemed by Christ, filled with his Holy Spirit, has gifts for a purpose. And they are here for a purpose. Part of this community, this part of God's family, for a purpose. And we, as a community, are not who we are supposed to be yet. Because we, as individuals, are not living in the calling he has put on our life. We are not exercising and growing, utilizing the gifts that he has given us for his church, for his kingdom. Maybe we don't know what they are. Maybe we're not recognizing them in each other and honoring them. We are not attending a religious service here this morning, people. That's not what is happening here. This is a gathering of the body of Christ. God has anointed us with his spirit and gathered us together so that we can all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we, speaking the truth in love, will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head. That is Christ. That is what is happening here. That is the purpose of this. When we come together in love and humility and submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, exercising our gifts and receiving from each other. Submit. Submit is not a bad word. Submit is not a weak word. Submit is a biblical word. It is a spiritual word. It is a word that unlocks power. Transformational power. It is God's word for us. Ephesians 5.21 Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit means to place yourself under or humble yourself under someone else. Now why would you want to do that? Beside the fact that God told you to. Well, when we place ourselves under others, we can receive from them. When we place ourselves under others, we recognize 
that they have something that we need. We make ourselves vulnerable to them. Submitting to each other means we make ourselves vulnerable to receive the gift that God has given them for us. You see, the purpose of the spiritual gifts is not to bless the person who has been given it. The gifts aren't, the gifts on me aren't for me. They're for you. They're his, for his church. That's why he gave them to me. That's why he has given you your gifts for us, for the church. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 says the gifts are for the common good. They're for the good of the community. But to receive from these gifts, we've got to be submitted to each other. We've got to make ourselves vulnerable, breaking the walls down around our hearts and minds so that the Spirit working through that person can get to us and do a work in us. And this is an important point to grasp here. The way of the Holy Spirit, the way that he works, and this is so much my testimony, most of what he has done in me, for whatever reason, he doesn't do directly him to me. Like it just happens in me. He chooses to work through others. Now, I'm not saying that God doesn't miraculously directly do things in your life. I'm sure you maybe you've got a testimony of that. But are you restricting the way in which he can work in your life? Only allowing it to go straight from him. Because his plan, evidence through the, the way he has distributed his gifts, is he works through others. That means that when we resist the ministry of our brothers and sisters in the church, we may well be resisting the Spirit himself. And I resisted the Spirit himself for decades. Because I told him, as I shared you know, many times before, I, I dictated terms to the Lord. I told him how he would be allowed to communicate with me. I laid out the plan of how he would be able to work in my life. And so if I didn't come to an understanding myself, if I didn't receive the teaching directly through Scripture and my own intellect, I wasn't going to accept it. If it didn't make sense to me, I wasn't going to have a bar of it. And so I didn't hear from God. I didn't have the deeper understanding that I needed. It didn't mean that I, I stopped teaching. I preached with great conviction from the understanding that I'd come to myself. But God's been wanting to speak to me forever. I just closed my ears to hear. This can be hard for a lot of people, and it was certainly hard for me. It is the Kiwi culture to be self-sufficient. DIY. Do it yourself. The kingdom of God is not a DIY (laughs) operation. Oh, I'll give it a go. She'll be right, Lord. I'll be good, thanks. Many of us don't like to ask for help or to have to rely on others. We are most happy just to take care of things ourselves. 
It's not the way of the kingdom of God. God designed his church in such a way that we would need each other. And if we don't lean on each other and learn to trust and honor and submit to one another, we will never become the mature, loving, faithful, united church he's called us to be. To be submitted to each other means humbling ourselves to receive God's gift from each other. God has anointed Ingrid to speak prophetically over his church. He gives her dreams and visions and talking donkeys. That would not surprise me. That would not surprise me at all. For us. But we will not receive a word from heaven if we aren't prepared to recognize and honor what God has placed on her life. When we do that, we position ourselves to receive the blessing and benefit of a gift. His work comes alive in us. Matthew 10.41 says, Whoever welcomes a prophet as a prophet will receive a prophet's word, um, a prophet's reward. What's a prophet's reward? It's the word of God. It's his prophetic word. What's a teacher's reward? It's understanding. You receive a teacher as a teacher. You will receive deeper understanding. You receive an apostle as an apostle. You will receive an apostle's reward. That's strategic direction from heaven. You receive a, a pastor as a pastor. You will receive a pastor's reward. A pastor's reward is encouragement. It's direction. It's relationship. It's support. You receive an evangelist. As an evangelist, you receive an evangelist's reward. That is the empowerment to preach the word of God boldly, to share hope and faith with those who don't have it. This requires us to look past the flesh and see the spirit of God alive and active in each one of us. It takes spiritual sight, spiritual insight. That's a sense that we don't necessarily live in and operate that often. We're locked in the flesh. So when we look at each other, we judge according to the flesh. The flesh is going to pass away. We know that, right? It's the deposit that God has placed in each other that is eternal. That is what we need to see, recognize, honor, and submit to. So we need to recognize these things on each other. If we want to grow in these different graces that God has blessed the church with, growing in his strategic direction, growing in his prophetic word, growing in his understanding of the word, growing in our ability to share the faith and support and encourage each other, we need to submit to these gifts. But I'm not presenting a shopping list. This morning, I'm not saying, oh, yes, oh, I've always wanted a bit of that gift. 
Who's got that one? Special meeting after church for those who like that one. We'll, we'll hold hands and see what happens. I'm not, I'm not suggesting that. I'm not suggesting that you single out the area of Christian life or ministry that you're inclined towards and submit just under those that uh, are like-minded or those that emphasize the things you think are important. Because when we do that, once again, we're building the church according to our plan. Building in accord to what we think is important and what we value and what we're wired to appreciate. To be unified, to be mature, to be in the fullness of Christ, we need all the gifts. We need all of us. We need to be submitted to each other, whatever gift we think they may or may not be anointed with. This isn't actually about spiritual gifts. It's about the way we treat each other. It's about the way we honor each other. It's about how the love of God is in us for each other. The spiritual gifts actually become irrelevant. When we truly love each other and are submitted to each other, the gift will do what the gift does. We don't seek the gift. Eagerly desire gifts, sure, but we seek him. And what we will find is that when we seek him, we will find him in each other. When we are truly submitted, we are positioned for God to work through whoever he chooses, whenever he chooses, however he chooses. And that gets me thinking. What is the gift on Amy? What has God put on my sister? What does he want to do through her in this church? What does he want to do in my life through her? Am I just going to spend the next 5, 10, 20 years walking past her and Nodding, hi, how are you doing? Cool, see you later. Or am I going to seek God in the deposit he has put in her? Am I going to allow him to work through her in my life? Or am I going to make a call right now that I believe God is on her in power? The same God who is in me. And she has at least the same potential to make an impact in his kingdom as me. Am I going to position myself to receive from God through her? Through Hezekiah? Through LJ? Through everyone here? This understanding means I'm not, I can't single out those that I think seem to be really onto it. Oh, okay, yep. This recognizes that God is in everyone. And to, to come into the fullness, to come into maturity... I need from everyone. We need from everyone. It is the same spirit in every single one of us. But then I'm also not suggesting that the only reason we should submit to one another is in the expectation of getting the benefit of a person's spiritual gift. The first benefit that the church receives when we submit to one another is unity. And that is what Christ prayed the night 
before he was arrested and crucified. He didn't pray that would be filled with the power of God and active in spiritual gifts, even though that would come. He prayed that we would be one, that we would be unified. And until we can humble ourselves and submit one to another, to each other, we will never be one. And that is his plan for his church. Let's pray. I want us to pray for each other. And I want us to pray for our church. So I want to invite you, uh, if the person next to you is comfortable, to put your hand on their shoulder. Something is released through faith in the laying on of hands. Lord God, you are the giver of all good gifts. And we thank you, Lord, for the gift of your spirit. The, the gift of your spirit that is alive in my brother or sister. Thank you, Lord, for the gifts that you've placed on their life. Thank you, Lord, for saving them. Thank you for the deposit of your spirit. Thank you for your love poured into their heart. Amplify your gifts, Lord. Grow them, enhance them, release them, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would give me eyes to see you and my brother or sister. Help me to, Lord, honour what you have done in them, what you are doing in them. Recognise and honour the gifts, Lord, and submit to my, myself to him or her. I pray for the humility to put myself second and put them first to bless them with every opportunity I have. Give us, Lord, humility to humble ourselves under each other, to honour the grace you have placed on the lives of each one of our brothers and sisters. Help us to give. Help us to receive. Help us to grow. Build your church, your Lord, and use me and all who agree. Say Amen. All right. Watch out for Amy. Something on the sister. <laughs>